people have gotten crazy, we've been taking Genesis, if you recall, uh, a chapter at a time for several weeks now, uh, even before the break we took for Psalm 11. Uh, but this morning, as I mentioned, as we arrive at Psalm uh, to Genesis 34, we, uh, I propose that we break the chapter up uh, a bit, uh, looking at just the first seven verses. I, I think there is enough here to, for us to to hear and to deal with um, uh, some important lessons uh, in terms in, in terms of the Christian life, and and that's uh, that's uh, so important for us to recognize just how remarkable that is. We're we're dealing here with ancient history. Um, in Genesis thirty four, we're hearing the account of things that happened thousands of years ago. And, and yet the story sounds as if it could have happened yesterday. Uh, all of this to say that, that even as God himself is eternal, even as Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so even mankind in sin is the same. Uh, we've made the point in the past that the, the people of God in the Old Testament were saved by the same plan of salvation as us. Uh, for them, it was faith in the promise of Christ's coming. Uh, the seed of Eve would crush the head of the evil one. Uh, um, the offspring of Abraham would bestow blessing upon all the nations of the earth. Uh, the son of David would come to redeem uh, the people of God and rule over them forever for their salvation. Uh, it's the same salvation, the same plan of salvation from beginning to end, we just live at a different point in redemptive history, as we say. Uh, but if that's the case, that the plan of salvation is the same, then surely we ought to recognize our life, our Christian life, in the lives we see being lived, even with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Except that now we're getting beyond Jacob even. Uh, remember remember how long we were looking into the life of Abraham and then, more briefly, the life of Isaac because uh, we just aren't told as much about Isaac uh, before the record moves to Jacob and Esau. And uh, between Jacob and Esau, it's been Jacob's life that we've been looking into, noticing his faith. Yes, we have seen his faith but noticing also his unbelief, or otherwise to say, the weakness at times of his faith. And the advantage is ours, uh, because we have the opportunity to, opportunity to learn by example in the negative. Uh, in other words, yes, God's word often calls us to be like Abraham, to be like Isaac, to be like Jacob or David or Joseph or Daniel. Um, but God's word, just as often, if not more so, um, tells us what not to be like. Um, the Bible doesn't hide sin. Uh, it doesn't sweep the dirt under the rug, as we say, in the recorded lives of, of God's people. Uh, and the blessing to us is to learn much about the gospel, about the Christian life, to be lived in response to the gospel even in our own day. So here really is uh, the, the first story beyond the life of Jacob. Jacob is certainly a character in this story, but it's really, did you recognize the moving on 
the story is really now about Jacob's children. And the main character of this story is Dinah, uh, the one daughter of Jacob, at least the only daughter of Jacob that we are told about. And maybe it shows my age, but uh, um, when I hear the name Dinah, I can't help but think of the old folk song, uh, I've been working on the railroad. Uh, the song the song says, I've been working on the railroad all the big long day. I'm going to do my best not to break out into, into song. Uh, I've been working on the railroad just to pass the time away. Can't you hear the whistle blowing? Rise up early in the morn. Can't you hear the captain shouting? Dinah, blow your horn. I, I have no idea what that means. Uh, which is the problem with so much poetry and uh, and songwriting. You, you write a few verses that don't necessarily make any sense, but as long as it, it is set to a catchy tune, nobody nobody bothers to ask, what, what does that mean? So the chorus of the song goes on to say, someone's in the kitchen with Dinah, someone's in the kitchen I know, someone's in the kitchen with Dinah, strumming on the old banjo. Uh, well, here's the real story of Dinah. Uh, she's not in the kitchen, uh, but uh, uh, things are happening, as we have heard already, uh, and things that are certainly not good. So here's the first point, a, a dangerous proximity. Proximity means closeness or uh, being, cl- being next to, uh, in close location to uh, something or someone else. And, and that immediately shows us how we can relate to this story. Because Jacob has now returned to the promised land. It was his land by the promise of God, just as this earth is our earth by the promise of God. And yet, is it really ours? Uh, on one hand, yes, it, it really is ours Again, by the promise of Christ, the meek shall inherit the earth. Remember that at creation God said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be an expanse, and so it was. He said, let there be dry land, and so it was. We need to remember the story of creation to, to, to know that whatever God says is. And what God says is even before we get to see it and experience it. That's the the key, you see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The reason we hope for something by way of a gospel promise is because God has spoken it. The reason we are certain of certain things is because God has promised Either way, what God says is. And that, by way, and that, by the way, is why you, as a believer in Christ, why you are righteous. You are perfect in the eyes of God, even though you're still a sinner. You're righteous because, well, because God says you're righteous. And he says so, he decrees it, Not because he just ignores your sin, but because he pays attention to his son. It's the righteousness of his son by which he declares that you are righteous. 
as you are trusting in his son, your Savior, Jesus Christ. So here is Jacob, lately returned to the promised land. It's his land, it really is. And yet he is surrounded by people living on his land. What was he to do? Well, one thing he might have done is to pay a a bit closer attention to his daughter because his daughter was an awful lot like him. Genesis 34 verse 1 records that Dinah, the daughter of Leah, went out to see the women of the land. And that statement in particular shows us how we are not so terribly different from Jacob and Dinah. What does that mean, after all? She went out to see the women of the land. Well, my read on it is that she, she wasn't looking for a husband. She wasn't looking for a job. Uh, she just wanted to look about herself. Uh, Charles Dickens, in his novels, uh, uses this expression, uh, referring to uh, a young man, uh, but otherwise saying that he was looking about himself. Looking about himself. We would say, well, I'm just looking around. Uh, the salesperson says, uh, may I help you? And we, we respond, no, I'm, I'm just looking around. Uh, or we get on the Internet. Dangerous place, by the way. And if someone were to ask us, we'd say, oh, I'm just looking around. And, and that seems to be what Dinah was doing. She was a young lady. She was living in a, in a, a, a land that was new for her. And so she went out to see the women of the land. The problem in our day is that you uh, don't have to leave the house to look around. Uh, We take it for granted, I think. Uh, We don't even object, uh, but we even welcome, much like Dinah, the obtrusion of the radio, uh, the television, and the internet. Uh, The world comes flooding into our life, uh, into our mind, into our heart every day. And what's the point? Is this the the preacher saying, don't listen to the radio, don't watch TV, get rid of your computer? Well, maybe, and maybe not. It depends on how mature you are, how capable you are of dealing with your proximity to the world. Uh, If the catchy tune on the radio uh, has you listening to lyrics that do not honor Christ, then yeah, turn it off. Uh, If if the shows you are watching are filled with sexual sin, violence, and, 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 and worse yet, just mindless drivel, well then yes, turn it off. Uh, If you're looking at stuff on the computer that you know you shouldn't be looking at, stuff even unbelievers look at in secret because they know it's wrong, then yes, it might be time to put your computer to the curb. And do we understand that that that's where we are? We can say, oh, oh, that Dinah, you know, what was she doing? What was she thinking? Where was she going? But we, we are in the exact situation. In fact, we have it worse, as I said, because, because we don't have to go out. We can stay in and run into the same proximity with the world. And you can say, oh, well, you're, you're just the preacher man. I understand you're just saying what you have to say, and I'll listen politely. 
but I really wish you wouldn't listen politely. If this is not spot on, then, then make your case. Here was Dinah, probably a sweet gal, innocent, the only daughter of, um, of her father Jacob, and she's probably just bored, likely just curious, maybe just looking for friends in, in the new land that her father brought her to. But she is in dangerous proximity to a world that was not on her side. A world that would not respect her covenant identity. And that's where you and I are as well. In our Thursday evening Bible study, we're currently uh, studying infant baptism, or better said, I think, covenant baptism. Uh, We've had three lessons so far, and one of the things that, that keeps coming to me as we study God's Word is, is how baptism, uh, on a very basic level really, baptism marks our children as special. And right away you can hear the objection, oh, so, so you think you're special? Is that really what, what we want to teach our children, that they're special? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly the point. If you are a believer in Christ, then you are special. God has chosen you and given you faith by which to be saved. If that doesn't make you special, nothing else will. But here's the thing. If you're special, by the, by the grace of God to give you faith and to save you by that faith, then your children are special too. For God to give a child to one who is his child is very special. And that's what covenant baptism is. On one hand, the mark of covenant inclusion, but maybe that's too cold, too theological, covenant inclusion. So let's hear it this way, that baptism marks the child of a believer as special. How so special God has given that child to be born to or to be adopted by parents who are committed to teach that child day by day the truth of God's word. Think of how many children are born into this world without that blessing. But children of believers are different. They are very special by God's own grace and his design as he has given them to Christian parents to be raised in a Christian home. But then sadly, even tragically, let's not downplay the seriousness of the sin and the situation. Second point is rape and mitigation. Because that's what happened to Dinah as she went out to look about herself. Verse 2 records, And when Shechem the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and, and lay with her and humiliated her. Let's make it clear that the point here is not to blame it on Dinah as if she had it coming. The point of the text is not to blame it on Dinah, but instead to record uh, the deed as wrong and dirty as it really was. 
Here certainly is an example in the negative, coming from the world itself. Dinah went out to see the women of the land, but that gives no one the right to take advantage of her. Dinah was likely an attractive young lady. We were told of the uh, the beauty of her great-grandmother. You remember Sarah uh, was uh, an attractive woman. Uh, we're told of her uh, grandmother, that she was an attractive woman. Uh, but that doesn't remove her right to be treated with respect and dignity. And here's a point to be remembered, because uh, especially by us men, um, that even if a woman is willing to be disrespected and mistreated, doesn't make it okay. Again, the, the point is not to say that Dinah subjected herself to be grossly mistreated in this way. The point instead is to see the specifics, again, of our dangerous proximity to the world. So what do I mean by mitigation? I gave some thought uh, to find the right word to use here, and I I think this is a good word, mitigation. Mitigation means uh, the, the action of reducing the severity, seriousness, or painfulness of something. And that's what Shechem did. Rather than confess his sin, Shechem, the grand prince of the land, wanted to marry Dinah. Verse 3 records, And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And verse 4 adds, So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now, I firmly believe that the point is not to say that at least Shechem was willing to make it right. Here's another lesson for us that there really is no way of making it right. Once a person has done what Shechem did to Dinah, there's no way to make it right. We, we want to think, we want to think that we can always make it right. Uh, hey, if, if, uh, if we can invent all this cool technology, uh, if we live uh, at ease on the earth as we do, uh, if we can put a man on the moon, well, then surely we can prevent sin, but in the event of sin, well, we can make it right. We can find true justice again. Well, let me just burst this bubble of delusion. We can't. We can't. By way of the law of God, later given, uh, the right thing, the thing of justice to make it right was by the death, the execution of a man who would do what Shechem did to Dinah. So Shechem wanted to marry Dinah, and, and the text even says that he loved her. But what this shows us is the same messed up understanding of love that we see in our own culture. It's nothing new. This is not love, to force yourself on another person. Uh, And no mitigation after the fact can make it right once you've done that. Here's a point to see. Obviously, uh, a quite early point in the history of redemption. uh, But here's a point to see the need for the cross. Uh, We would like to think that we can make things right. If someone steals our money... Think about it. Does the repayment of the debt of sin really make it right? 
Well, it's a start. If somebody steals our money and they pay it back, well, that's good. But if someone steals your money, does it does it make it right if they if they give it back? They they still stole the money. They still put you in distress. <laughs> they robbed you also of the time and effort to get the money back. And if that person goes to jail, does it erase the distress that it that it caused you? And as the offense gets more serious, the evidence only builds that justice cannot be found in this world except by the cross of Christ. If someone kills another person, is it full justice for that person to be executed? I, I personally believe in the death penalty. But does the execution of a murderer bring back the life of the one uh, whom he has killed? Isn't it interesting that, that all human beings have this innate sense of justice? Wrongs, wrongs must be righted. But isn't it interesting that we so often settle for a justice that really isn't justice? In other words, we, we mitigate the wrong. We, we can only try, we can only do as much as we can to lessen the injustice but we really can never achieve true justice in this world. The cross of Christ is where true justice was achieved. At the cross, where, um, where the Savior of the world bled and died, sin was punished. Justice was finally achieved after years of man's mitigation. And this is the message that we must take to the world. Yes, the cross shows us the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And and what's the fullness of that? That he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross. The father gave his son to be sacrificed on the cross for sin. So yes, that's love. That's even the essence of love. But isn't it strange that, that we can see the cross of Christ as the essence of love, and yet we don't see the cross as the essence of justice. But justice is there at the cross just as much as love. In fact, you, you can't really see the full love of God in the cross unless you understand the justice of the cross. God giving his son to perish so that the sinner might go free without the violation of justice. I invite you, I urge you to meditate on these things because it's key, it's key to finding, the, the, uh, uh, to finding joy in the Christian life, the key to, even to your sanctification. Are, are, are you struggling far more than you want with indwelling sin, as we call it? Uh, are you finding your flesh stronger than your faith? Then go back to the cross. Stop mitigating your sin and face up to the truth that the wages of sin is death. But that Christ died that death, he suffered that hell that you deserved. There is a thing called justice. It's not a myth. It does exist as you know it does, 
It just can't be found in this world of sin apart from the cross of Christ. And if you say, well, I, I, I just don't have time to do such meditation, such reflection and study in the Word, well, well then okay, but, 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 but quit grieving the injustice of the world. Eat, drink, and be merry, and, and, and die maybe as soon as tomorrow. But if you would find true justice, then revisit the cross and see in the sacrifice and death of Christ not only the justice for all offenses against you, but justice for your own sin. And find salvation in the cross as you trust that Jesus died for your sins as for the sins of the whole world. Finally and briefly, the law before the law. Verse 5 records that when Jacob heard what had happened to his daughter Dinah, he held his peace until his sons came in from the field. And verse 7 says, The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But who says? That's the question that that needs to get asked in our day. Who says? Who is it who stipulates that such a thing must not be done? People want to try to say uh, there's no God. The Ten Commandments are obsolete. People want to say that the law of God should be removed from the public realm. It largely has across our land. Well, that works fine, so long as the government agrees with you. Because who's going to say what's right and what's wrong? The government? Otherwise, how do you know when you've done wrong? So here were the the brothers of Dinah doing what they ought to do, taking offense, being ready to defend their sister's right and honor, but why must such a thing not must not be done? Why must such a thing not be done? Well, because everyone knows that such a thing must not be done. In fact, Shechem knew that such a thing must not be done. He knew it before and he knew it after he did it. Hamor knew, Hamor knew that such a thing must not be done, which is why they were trying to mitigate the situation and make it right, at least as far as they were able to make it right. Here we see that the law of God is written upon the heart of man. Here is what is sometimes called natural law. You don't need to own a Bible to know when someone has stolen your money. You don't need to have the the Ten Commandments hanging on a on a wall in your house to know when you have when you have violated the law of God. And that such a thing must not be done. The law of God is written on your heart. It's it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Uh, And so the law of God is written on every human heart. Every person really does know 
And you really do know, I hate to tell you what you already know, but you really do know that you live quorum Deo. You live before the face of God. You live under his justice and his judgment. So the law had not yet been given at Mount Sinai. We read Exodus 20 earlier in the service. That's quite a bit later. And yet everyone involved knew that such a thing must not be done. The question is how to fix it. And there are all kinds of ways not to fix it, only to make it worse. We see one way not to fix it in these seven verses. And next time, the Lord willing, we'll see another way not to fix it. We'll see sin leading to more sin. Hurt leading to more hurt. We'll see trouble stirring up trouble. And that's the way of the world. Trouble stirring up trouble. That's what the ruler of this world does, the evil one. But for now, brothers and sisters, look to the cross of Christ. As you find sin in your own life, as you deal with wrongs done to you, look to the cross where justice was truly done and trust in Jesus as the one who satisfies for your sin and rights the wrong. Jesus, by his cross, has righted the wrongs of this world, indeed, even for the whole world. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching of your word. May we take these things to heart and recognize that, indeed, we all live quorum Deo. We all live before your face. You see, you know, uh, you judge. And uh, where is justice? May it not be found in your punishment of us for our sin, but may it be found in the cross for each of us. That sin is punished. Forgiveness is granted. Grace is bestowed. As we look to Christ, trust him for our salvation. In his name we pray. Amen.